Welcome to the Watoto Church Podcast. Prepare your heart as we explore scripture and delve into the Word of God. Father, speak to us from your Word right now when it comes to this important ordinance, the Lord's table. I pray that today it will not just be a theoretical thing, it won't just be a theological uh, concept, but today I pray we will experience the power that there is in this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful ordinance of breaking bread together and drinking of the juice as reminders of the price that Jesus paid. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Now we are in a series that we began last week on the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And it's an amazing book. Actually, uh, the book of Corinthians addresses Christian life in a city. In cities, there's a different dynamic, different uh, a culture usually that cities have. And so Paul begins to write to the church in Corinth to put something straight when it comes to Christian life in a city. Now, if you go to Acts chapter 17 and chapter 18, you will see how the gospel came to Corinth. It's a very interesting story. Paul's apostolic adventures. He comes from the city of Athens, uh, which was a city of high intellectualism. They liked to really stand in the street corner and debate about how life works. And people would come with philosophies on how life really works. It was highly intellectual in Athens. It reminds me when I just joined the university uh, at Makerere Hill. Uh, during orientation, one of the people came and said, you are standing in the place of the highest IQ per square meter in Uganda. <laughs> because we were at, at the ivory tower. Uh, and so Athens was like that. They liked intellectualism. And Paul went and he talked to them about the gospel and he debated with them. But they were too intellectual. Few people really gave their hearts to Jesus. And he moved on to the next city. So Athens, highly intellectual. The next city was Corinth in Acts 18. And Corinth was a wealthy city. They, they were wealthy. And so... Paul is there, and to sustain his life in the city, he had to work. He was a tent maker, and on the weekends, uh, he would go on the Sabbath, and he would talk to the Jews and the Greeks, telling them about Jesus. Because you see, my friends, the message of the gospel is not just for the poor. The message of the gospel is for the intellectual, it's for the wealthy, it's for everyone. And so he began to teach and tell them about Jesus and they debated with him. They argued with him. At some point, Paul was getting discouraged. And then his friends came and joined him. 
And so he said, now that they had come with some offerings to support the work of the ministry, he quit tent making and he committed himself to preach. And he kept preaching. In the synagogue, they were not receiving him. He decided to go out. And then he experienced discouragement. And God appeared to him and said to Paul, don't stop speaking. Keep on preaching. Because in this city, I have many that I'm going to reach out to. And God guaranteed him, no one will harm you. Listen, my friends. As we do God's work, God will protect us. He will be there. Don't give up on sharing. And he stayed there for another year and a half preaching the gospel and many got saved. Now, because it was a city kind, it was a city wealthy, the people who got saved came with some of the city culture in the church. And that began to bring problems that Paul began, begins to address through the book of Corinth. And so the book of Corinth is actually a beautiful book. It addresses city culture that has invaded the church. Yeah. Let me give you some examples that Paul addresses. City culture is a celebrity culture. People have their favorites. So-and-so is my favorite musician. So-and-so is my favorite musician. In fact, a few weeks ago, we had two celebrity musicians putting on a show on the same day to demonstrate who is more powerful. That is city culture. But it goes beyond uh, celebrities of musicians and it even begins to become celebrity pastors. My pastor is more popular than yours. My pastor has more followers than yours. That, that's the whole city dynamics. And so we see Paul immediately beginning to address, because some were beginning fo following, I follow so-and-so, I follow so-and-so, I follow so-and-so. It was a whole celebrity culture that had invaded the church. All right? Now some of you think Twitter and Facebook started recently. This is many years ago. They didn't have the technology, but they were already following. <laughs> Celebrity culture. And it was bringing division in the church. Immorality was a big deal in the city. It came into the church. Paul begins to address immorality. In the city, everyone, talk to my lawyer, talk to my lawyer. Paul begins to address, how do we live together without talk to my lawyer? He addresses legal issues that had invaded the church. And then one of the issues, there are many other issues Paul addresses and we will talk about them. One of the other issues he begins to address is the issue of communion. Because when they would gather together, those days, they would come not in big uh, but buildings like this, because they didn't have big buildings. So churches would gather in homes, like we gather in cell. If you are not in a small group, my friends, you're missing out. Because the true experience of our Christian faith is in small group doing life together with brothers and sisters. That's where we experience meaningful relationships. 
we grow spiritually. Our gifts begin to come out. We start to grow as leaders. And then we impact community like we did uh, in the past two weeks through our citywide seed projects. It happens in a context of small groups. So I encourage you to join a cell family if you're not. So they would gather in small groups. That's how they would come together. And then there they would worship. And then they would share in the Lord's table. But something began to happen. They began to take the Lord's table with familiarity. It just became a ritual. I think it was Dr. Miles Munroy who said, who's going to be with the Lord, ignorance of purpose makes abuse inevitable. When you don't know or lose the purpose of something, you can begin to abuse it, you can misuse it, and you can miss out on its purpose and its power. So Paul begins to describe what was happening when it came to the Lord's table, and then he begins to correct and teach on the significance of the Lord's table, and then he even gives some caution on what happens if we don't fully appreciate the Lord's table. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm going to read what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. If you're there, say amen. amen. So Paul is addressing this subject. And he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 from verse 17, he's correcting an abuse of the Lord's Supper. Verse 17 will read, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Now, last week we talked about the division due to I follow so and so and I follow the other. Here he's now bringing it closer to the gatherings that were happening. There were more divisions happening here. And then it says, no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you has, uh, have God's approval. In other words, it's saying, yes, distinction and difference should exist to show those who are living a life that honors God because it must be different from those who do not honor God. Because you are now the light of the world and you need to live as a, a believer and there's a distinction. He's saying that there's got to be differences. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about other very dangerous differences that hurt the body of Christ. And then he says, so then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. You've been thinking you're participating in the Lord's Supper, but it's not, because it's now lost its purpose. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. So what used to happen in these days, those days, they would come together 
gathering a home and everybody brought something to share and eat. They would call them love feasts. Because they would worship and eat. Great because it's in a home setting. Very, very simple to do and have fellowship. But since Corinth was a regular city like any city, the wealthy were there, the elite, they were there, there were many, but there were also the poor and the slaves. And when they got saved, they would come together. The wealthy would bring food and eat separately from everybody else. <laughs> That's what happened. So they were divided based on status. There was VIP communion. <laughs> That's what was happening. VIP. VIP lounge for who's who. That was the division. And in the VIP lounge, they ate and got drunk, and it was bad. Here's, he carries on to say this. They were having their own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry. Some people didn't bring anything to eat, actually never get anything to eat. And then others would get drunk. Then he tells them, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. He describes how they had abused the Lord's table. Say, okay, yeah, we are coming together to gather, but then there's an upper class and there's a lower class. And so for the upper class, we have a private section where we eat. The rest of you, stay. If there's anything that remains, you can eat. And Paul says, no, that's not communion. That's abuse of the Lord's table. So when he describes it, he begins to remind them what the Lord's table is and what it's about. And let's continue to read. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord's table is not man's table. This is not Paul's idea. This is not Watoro Church's idea. The Lord's table is Jesus' idea. So he says, I'm simply passing on to you what the Lord Jesus started. You are taking this for granted and thinking it's just a good church culture. No. This is something significant and important. In fact, if we don't handle it right, there are consequences. And I'm going to read them. Paul talks about them. 
He says, I want you to understand that the Lord's table is not my idea. And he begins to talk about it. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Come on, what a prophetic meal. What a powerful meal that Jesus started for us, his children, to always remember. The Corinthians were no longer remembering. It was about eating. It was about class. And it had become a meal that was abused. allowed to correct it. You see, the night that Jesus was betrayed was the same night that the Passover meal was celebrated. It was a meal that had lasted generation after generation, reminding the nation and the people of Israel what God did for them when they were in bondage. So that was the Passover meal. It was a shadow of communion. So those of you who don't understand Passover, when the children of Israel were in Egypt in bondage and God was getting ready to deliver them through Moses, he performed great miracles when they were in Egypt. But the final one, that made Pharaoh say, Israelites, go, was when God let the angel of destruction come to take the lives of every firstborn male. And he told the children of Israel, here's what I want you to do. Get a lamb that is pure, sacrifice this lamb, and get its blood and put the blood on the doorposts of your houses. When the angel of death comes, when he sees the blood, he will pass over your house. The power of the blood. The enemy cannot attack you or your household or anything that is around you when the blood of Jesus is present. And so he passed over and passed over, and where the blood was not, the firstborn male child would be dead. It didn't matter how powerful Pharaoh was. 
without the blood of Jesus. He was exposed to the destruction of the angel of death. And so the Passover meal was to remind them. And now Jesus performs this meal and he says, I am the Passover lamb for everybody on planet Earth that believes in me. And so whoever recognizes the broken body of Christ, and the blood that was shed, his covenant blood, he says it's a new covenant now I'm making with you. Whoever recognizes those two, the enemy has no room to destroy you. That's the significance. By his body that was broken, the Bible says, we are healed. What medicine cannot do, Jesus can do. He is the healer. By the blood that he shed, it has power. We were singing it. I am forgiven. I am healed. My past is erased by the power of the blood of Jesus. As communion. This is serious business. And when we recognize it, when we make sure that this meal that Jesus instituted, we take it for what it is, we will experience the power of communion. Human beings, we like to see, we like to touch things. That's the reality. This ring of mine is a symbol. When people see it, they know he is married to Vanita. And my firstborn is seated here. It is symbolic. But if I remove this ring here, it doesn't mean I'm no longer married. But so everybody knows that I'm married and committed and that I made a vow to my wife, whether she's with me or not with me, this ring is that symbol. The same is true when it comes to the bread that we break and share and the juice that we share. It is symbolic of something real. And it says whenever we eat, whenever we drink, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. In other words, when we take the bread and take the juice, here's what we are saying. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and he will return again to take us to be with him forever. It is a proclamation of the entire gospel and hope that we have. You cannot say that of any other God. None came, many came anyway. They died, they stayed there. Only Jesus rose. Only Jesus is coming back again to rule and reign for this meal is prophetic. It's amazing. The broken body and the blood. Paul continues, and I'm going to end, and then we will get ready to share in communion. Because it says, do this in reflection 
in remembrance of what Jesus did. So then, verse 27, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. He's now bringing corrective measures. What does it mean to eat the bread and take the juice in an unworthy manner? It means two things. One is spiritual irreverence. When you do not honor this meal, when it just becomes a religious routine and you just eat and drink. And unfortunately today it has become like that. People just, because every first weekend we do it here, in other places they do it more frequently. People just take communion without thinking. That is spiritual irreverence. You're taking a very special meal and treating it light, like the Corinthians had done. And now it became a drinking competition. It became a status competition. And they forgot. So, if you take communion irreverently, that is an unworthy manner. The other side of unworthy manner, taking communion in an unworthy manner, is if you have spiritual arrogance. So there's spiritual irreverence where you don't honor, you are just doing it. In fact, in some places, it is, it is a sacrament. Sacrament meaning when you take communion, you get saved. That is not true. We take communion because we are saved. It's a reminder. It's an ordinance. Spiritual arrogance is this. I am worthy, so I deserve to take communion. That is spiritual arrogance. And so some people think, because I'm worthy, I can take communion. Please understand me. What Paul addresses is taking it in an unworthy manner. Either you don't honor it or you carry spiritual pride. By the way, when you go to chapter 12, Paul is addressing spiritual pride and gifts and how people are using them. Okay? Here's the truth. None of us is worthy. In fact, communion is a reminder that we didn't deserve. But God sent his son, Jesus, who paid the price so that because of him, we can come before God as worthy people. Not based on us, but based on him. Please understand, none of us deserves without the cross of Christ.
Our salvation isn't based on what we have done. Our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Nothing more, nothing less. And so we all don't deserve, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, I take that bread and I'm reminded he died for me. I take the blood, the, the juice, and I'm reminded of the new covenant in his blood. Paul continues to talk about this. This is important. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body, being mindful that this is a reminder, without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Consequences. And then he talks about this judgment. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep, premature death. Because you've not honored it. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, recognizing that, hey, we don't deserve, but because of what Jesus did, we would, come, we would not come under such judgment. We wouldn't be judged. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. In other words, here's what Paul is saying. Some of us have continued to be sick and weak because we've not honored the symbolism of the bread and the juice. But the moment you take it with reverence, with humility, sickness will be healed. If you feel weak, you will be strengthened in the Lord. And premature death will be history in the name of Jesus. That's the power of communion. So it's not just bread and juice, my friends. So Paul says, so then my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. It is the Lord's table. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further instructions. What a beautiful what? What an amazing reminder. This is not a religious ritual. It's more than that. It's the Lord's table. Let's take a moment of reflection as we prepare our hearts to share. Holy Spirit is in this place. And I know he's speaking to us through his word. Allow him to flash a light in your life. Are you carrying 
irreverence when it comes to the Lord's table? Have you found yourself just going through the motions whenever it's the Lord's table? It's time for you to reflect. In fact, Paul says each of us should examine ourselves. This is the moment to do that. Maybe you've been carrying spiritual pride and arrogance and feel like, oh yeah, I qualify. Not, none of us does, save for his grace. This is a moment to examine ourselves. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now in this absolutely sacred moment as we get ready to share in the Lord's table where we have been irreverent, where we have harbored sin in our lives, we ask you for mercy. Lord, where we've carried arrogance, spiritual arrogance, and feel like, oh yeah, I deserve this table to take the bread and the juice. Please forgive us. Lord, your table is a reminder that your body was broken. You shed your blood for our salvation. That's the price you paid. Thank you for listening. We hope this encourages you to step into the new. Tune in next time as we delve into the Word of God. For comments and feedback or counseling, write to connect at watertochurch.com. Hey, hey.